0: Let's pray, and then we will uh, dig into God's word together. Father in heaven, my prayer this morning is that not only a vision of the exalted, glorified Jesus uh, would be impressed on us, but also, Lord, that we would sense the rich and profound presence of the risen Christ increasingly, Lord, in the rest of this worship service we have already. We pray, Lord, that this would increase as we open your word. It is the presence of Jesus, a vision of Jesus that will carry us through our week, no matter what it is that that faces us this week or that we have coming. So, Lord, I pray that you would be kind uh, to do that this morning. Help us to see with our minds and hearts Jesus and his glory and his beauty. And Father, I pray for each person here today that your spirit would come and be an encourager, a uh, the one who steers us perhaps, nudges us in a direction um, that we need to go, that we've been resistant to. Lord, we pray that you would do your work here. We pray these things in Jesus' name and thank you for your word. Amen. How many of you have uh, purchased, ever purchased an Ikea bookshelf or bed frame or dresser and you've started to put it together and you're well along the path of putting the thing together and you recognize suddenly that about five steps ago, you put a part on backwards. Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) I'm speaking from experience, because that's happened to me on more than one occasion. And the reason it's happened was that I failed to really pay close, close attention to the instructions. Uh, Invariably, when I go back, I see the parts on backwards. I go back in the instructions and I see perhaps the fine print, (laughs) the little picture there that I had missed. So it becomes my mistake, my fault. So instructions are given for a reason, right, for people like me. Well, let's try here as we begin this morning to step into the sandals of the Jewish people who lived in Israel during the first part of the first century. God had given his instructions. God had given his descriptions. He had given his promises, his prophecies to these Jewish people who lived in that early part of the first century. And at that point in history, of course, we know it is the Old Testament scriptures that the people had, the Hebrew Bible, the 27 books that make up our New Testament, of course, had yet to be written at that particular moment in history, but they had the Old Testament. As the incarnate Christ is walking amongst them, they had the Old Testament. The question is, had they understood the instructions. More specifically, as as these contemporaries of the incarnate Jesus Christ read their Hebrew Bible, had they seen clearly in those scriptures the nature of their Messiah, what he would be like, the pattern that he would fulfill, had they clearly perceived the contours and the specific characteristics concerning their Messiah, or had they missed a few things? And what about you and I? Even as we worship together this morning, is our perception of Jesus Christ and his work and his mission and his character, is our perception of our desperate need of him the blessings that we have in him, is, is it a clear perception? Or is it perhaps maybe a little fuzzy, maybe a little clouded? Well, we want to go to our preaching text this morning, which was read for us, Acts 13, uh, verses 26 through 41. And we plan this morning to finish Paul's sermon Uh, Initially, I wanted to go a few more weeks, but uh, the Lord led that we would finish this sermon this morning and thus finish the sermon series as well. So if we remember from two weeks ago, just to review, um, the first part of Paul's sermon at Pisidian Antioch, where he's preaching, was essentially a rehearsal, if we remember, a rehearsal of Old Testament history. Paul traveled through the history of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, through the Exodus, through the wilderness years, to the conquest, to the judges, Samuel and then Saul and David, all of which led up to his initial mention in the sermon of the Savior Jesus in verse 23. Well, this morning we reach what really is the climactic part now of Paul's sermon. And now Paul is going to focus exclusively on our Lord, on Jesus, on who Jesus is, on what happened to Jesus and why that matters to us. And Paul is going to point his readers to all the many pages in their Hebrew Bible that promised the coming of Jesus. We're almost in Advent, so it's interesting how this works. The coming of Jesus, promise in the Hebrew Bible. And so we re-enter Paul's sermon at verse 26. Paul says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. As we mentioned two weeks ago, Paul is speaking here, isn't he, to a mixed audience, to a mixed audience, Comprised of both Jewish people and God fearing Gentiles, who had been people who had been drawn to Judaism and who had a reverence for the Jewish scriptures, for the Hebrew Bible. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, they did not recognize Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them fulfilled the utterances of the prophets, how? By condemning him, condemning Jesus. Now again, friends, Paul is preaching this sermon where? In Pisidian Antioch, which is a long way to the northwest of the city of Jerusalem. But in his sermon, Paul, notice, brings his listeners on a quick trip down to Jerusalem. He talks about the people of Jerusalem and the higher ups in Jerusalem and what they had very recently done, what they had accomplished. And what they had accomplished down in Jerusalem was they had unwittingly fulfilled prophecy. Again, the people down in Jerusalem had unwittingly fulfilled prophecy. And this unwitting fulfillment of prophecy had come about because these people had missed the instructions. Their unwitting fulfillment of prophecy had come about because they had missed the specifics that had been written in their Hebrew Bible. Within those very scriptures that they heard faithfully read every single Sabbath in the synagogue, they had missed things. They had not perceived important teachings. And the result of their misunderstanding was that when Jesus arrived on earth, They did not recognize him. To use the words of the apostle Paul here, they did not recognize him. These these Jewish people who were steeped in the Old Testament, way more than you and I will ever be, they had misperceived the identity of Jesus Christ. They were blind to who he was. And so what happened was, that these people in Jerusalem fulfilled a passage like Isaiah 53 3 in their own Hebrew Bible they fulfilled their own scriptures they despised and they rejected Jesus and they condemned him they fulfilled their own scriptures and they fulfilled the prophecies of their own Hebrew Bible when they oppressed Jesus, and afflicted him and led him to the slaughter in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. And they fulfilled their own scriptures as well when, as builders, they rejected the cornerstone in fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 22, condemning the cornerstone to death. because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And then comes verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt, worthy of death, they went ahead and they asked Pilate to have him executed. So Paul's still here. He's talking about the Jewish people of Jerusalem who condemned Jesus to death. And again, we need to notice in his sermon that he's describing the actions of these Jerusalem Jews. He's describing those actions to a different group of Jewish people and God-fearers up in Pisidian Antioch. The implication of what Paul is saying is this, my friends, up here in Pisidian Antioch, the Jerusalem Jews made their choice concerning Jesus. They rejected him, they condemned him. Don't you do the same thing? The same Hebrew Scriptures that are read every Sabbath in Jerusalem are also read up here in Pisidian Antioch every single Sabbath. Don't you make the same choice as they did down in Jerusalem when they rejected Jesus based on what they missed in their own scriptures. Instead, receive the Messiah, your Messiah, Jesus. Believe. That's the implication of what Paul is doing here and saying. Well, let's go to verse 29 and when they had carried out notice it's another word of fulfilling right when they had carried out all that was written of him yes again when they had unwittingly fulfilled their own hebrew bible by doing what by crucifying the servant of the lord who had been prophesied in isaiah when they had done that they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Deuteronomy 21:23 says that a man hanging dead on a tree is cursed by God and must be taken down and buried on the same day. Jesus became a curse for us according to Galatians 3.13 and in keeping with the verse in Deuteronomy his dead body was laid in a tomb and then friends we come to verse 30 where suddenly blessedly exultantly there is a sharp shift a shift away from the actions of those who crucified and buried jesus in fulfillment of god's scriptures a shift away from that now to god himself what god did right after he sovereignly presided over every detail of the cross Verse 30, but God, say it with me, but God, stop there, stop there. (laughs) I know it's exciting. But God, blessed, blessed words those are but God things seemed to be careening out of control but God things looked really bad but God now we can read the whole thing but God did what raised him from the dead you see how everything changes with the but God Jesus, the Son of God, got up off that stony bed in the tomb. And the stone was rolled away from the entrance of the tomb, and the tomb emptied. Amen? Jesus is risen. But God, and the world has never been the same since, nor will it ever be. verse 31 and for many days acts 1 verse 3 says 40 days for many days he the risen jesus now appeared to those who had come up with him from galilee to jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people now paul here is speaking of the the risen jesus appearing to the original apostles right to the original apostles, a, a a group of which Paul himself was not part of, had not been part of. It had been the original pos- apostles who had come up from Galilee to Jerusalem with Jesus. The risen Jesus had appeared to those original apostles, minus Judas, over the course of that 40 days. As for Paul we know he would meet the risen Jesus a little bit later. Paul was last of all of the apostles. As he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he was one untimely born. His apostleship came later than the others. But now in Acts 13, here is Paul the apostle in Pisidian Antioch. Here is the former persecutor of Christians saying now in verses 32 and 33 we bring you and this is what preaching is <laughs> we bring you the euangelizo the good news the evangel that what god promised to the fathers this he has fulfilled there's that word again this he has fulfilled to us their children by doing what by raising jesus And then what Paul does next in verses 33 through 37 is he quotes three times from the Hebrew Bible from the Old Testament to show how the resurrection connects back to the Old Testament. So Paul takes pains here to show Jesus from the Old Testament. He doesn't want his listeners in Pisidian Antioch to miss their Messiah in their Hebrew Scriptures like those in Jerusalem had done. And who are we talking about here? This is the the Apostle Paul. So as a former Pharisee trained under Gamaliel, Paul knows his Hebrew Bible backwards and forwards. And as an Apostle who had been confronted on the road by the risen Jesus Christ, he now understood his Hebrew Bible to be about Jesus. So let's you and I think with Paul here. I'm asking you to come along and think through this with me. Think about how the Old Testament and the risen Jesus connect together and why it matters for us. He starts in verse 33 by quoting Psalm two, verse seven. Paul says in verses 32 and 33, we'll read the whole thing again, And we bring you the good news, the euangelizo, the evangel, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, and then Paul quotes Psalm 2-7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, let's think about Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a royal coronation psalm. A royal coronation psalm. Psalm 2, including the 7th verse that Paul quotes here, has to do with kings in the lineage of David being crowned as they came successively to the throne of Israel. And over in 2 Samuel 7, as God was making his covenant with David, God promised that David's throne would be established for how long? Forever. That the Davidic throne would have this everlasting aspect about it. So, think Psalm 2, the royal coronation psalm for Davidic kings, together with second samuel 7 and the idea that david's throne would be everlasting coming back to our verse acts 13 verse 33 paul talks here about god raising jesus just as paul has already talked about god raising jesus in verse 30 when god raised jesus from the dead and then when jesus subsequently ascended to the right hand of the father It was the climactic moment of Jesus' coronation. The climactic moment of his enthronement as the King of Kings in the line of David who now sits eternally everlastingly on the throne of the universe. Amen? That's one you can take into your week no matter what it is you're facing, that your king, that you are in relationship with, Christian, sits everlastingly on the throne of the universe. And so, in our verse, it is fitting that in connection with the resurrection, resurrection and ascension are the climactic part of the coronation of Jesus. It's fitting that in connection with the resurrection, Paul is quoting from Psalm 2, the Royal Coronation Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. On the day when successive kings of Israel were crowned to sit on the throne, they were essentially birthed or begotten into a new relationship with God, a new relationship of special sonship that had not been the case prior to their coronation. At his resurrection and ascension, which was the climactic moment of his coronation, King Jesus was already son of God. Yes, he's already son of God but there was a sense in which at least a sense in which Jesus was begotten through the grave and the tomb to his risen life as the son of God. So Psalm two, seven, then is Paul's first quote from the Hebrew Bible. And I hope that already we're starting to worship together as we see the glory of our King here. But now there's a second quote from the Hebrew Bible in verse 34, Paul continues his sermon. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, bodily corruption, he has spoken in this way. (laughs) Okay, now track with me here. And then Paul now brings in a quotation of Isaiah 55, verse three from the Greek Old Testament. That Paul knew so well from the Septuagint the quote from Isaiah 55 3 is this I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David now who's talking to who here in Isaiah 55 3 I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Who is the I in this verse, and who is the you? That's the question. The first part is easy, and you answered it right. The I here, I will give, this is God speaking, right? God will give, God will give the sure and holy blessings of David, but who is the you in this verse? Is it Jesus? The key factor in our interpretation of the you. Is the fact that in the original languages in both Hebrew and Greek, the Hebrew uh, Masoretic text, where this comes from, and also the Greek, the Septuagint, and also the Greek in Acts, it's not the singular form of you. You an individual, but rather it's the second person plural. You all. So the idea is i god will give you all the holy and sure blessings of david god was talking in isaiah 55 3 to a community he was addressing this promise to the community of his people who would live in the time future to the time of isaiah including you and i We are included in the you all here. We are included as the recipients and the beneficiaries of the holy and sure blessings of David. And friends, note very, very carefully that in this verse, Paul connects that promise of Isaiah 55, 3. He connects it, doesn't he, with the resurrection of the everlasting Davidic King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of King Jesus, listen, the resurrection of Jesus ensures the fruition, the coming to pass of the holy and sure blessings of David upon us and before his sermon is done, Paul is going to mention at least a couple of those holy and sure blessings that are ours because of the crucified, risen, everlasting Jesus. But Paul isn't done yet with his Old Testament quotations. There's one more now <laughs> in verse 35. Paul says, therefore, note that word we always ask when we see that word in Scripture. What's the therefore? Therefore, right? Therefore, in other words, because of God's promise to us in verse 34, that we will receive the holy and sure blessings of David because that promise must come true and have feet on it. He says in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Now, Paul here is quoting Psalm 16 verse 10. Just as Peter had quoted the exact same verse in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, Notice Paul's path of logic here. I know this is dense, but we have to see the path of logic. Verse 33, the coronation ceremony of King Jesus at his resurrection and ascension. Verse 34, because Jesus has been crowned as everlasting Davidic king of the universe, the holy and sure blessings of David flow to you and I. And now, verse 35, the blessings mentioned in verse 34 cannot come unless he is raised and he is risen. (laughs) Amen? Do we have the holy and sure blessings of David? You bet. And then in verse 36 and 37, Paul contrasts the great David and the King of Kings, Jesus, sort of like Peter had done in his sermon. So the idea is, as for David, he died, he was laid in the tomb, his body decayed, his his decayed body remains lying in a tomb, so that Psalm 1610, you will not let your Holy One see corruption, Psalm 1610, which David wrote, could not be about David. So that's David. Jesus, on the other hand, although he too died and was laid in a tomb, his body did not see corruption. And why? Because God raised him on the third day. So, you come through verse verses 33 through 35 looking back again densely packed verses oozing with Old Testament Paul wants to make sure that his listeners see Jesus in their Old Testament that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures he is God's promised Messiah he is God's risen everlasting davidic king he is the one through whom the nations are blessed he is the reason that you and i are sitting in this place today and the question friends is do we recognize the king of kings now when we come to verses 38 and 39 what does paul do here he sort of takes a stick and breaks the pinata so to speak and the holy and sure blessings of this davidic king jesus come cascading out let it be known to you therefore brothers that through listen to his language through this man i love that through the risen jesus here comes the first part of the pinata forgiveness of sins (laughs) is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is what depending on your translation freed justified is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses Paul again here he is addressing both Jews and Gentiles But the case is exactly the same for both of them. Jews and Gentiles both need the holy and sure blessing of forgiveness that has come in Jesus Christ and Jews and Gentiles both need the holy and sure blessing of freedom that has come in Jesus. But now let's bring this from Pisidian Antioch to Montreal. My friend, you need and I need the holy and sure blessings of forgiveness in Christ and freedom in Christ. These things are our greatest needs, despite whatever felt needs we had coming into the sanctuary this morning. These are our greatest needs, the forgiveness we need for our sin against God, the forgiveness we need for our participation in Adam, which breeds lying, which breeds cheating, lusting, self-righteousness, you name it. We could go on here. The forgiveness that each of us needs Comes only through this man, through this Jesus, the one crucified as our substitute on the cross, the sacrificial Lamb of God who shed his lifeblood to take away the sin of the world, who was raised on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is coming back. He's it. Right relationship with God will come no other way, and I know it's very politically incorrect to say this, but right relationship with God will come no other way than through the crucified risen Jesus. And Paul says further here that everyone, listen, everyone who believes is freed. that word could viably be translated justified. Everyone who believes is justified, that is, Declared righteous before God, acquitted before God, declared forgiven from everything which you could not be freed or justified by the law of Moses. Now the law of Moses, the law of God, is perfect, is beautiful, is good. But, friends, the law of God was never intended to justify anybody. The law never saved anybody. The plain fact is this, that you and I, all of us, doesn't matter who we are, we all break God's law. And God's law condemns us. That's what it does. God's law shows us how unrighteous we are. And it highlights the depth of our sin. It highlights our inability. And it highlights the desperation of our condition as we stand before God. Romans 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes, what? Knowledge of sin. Well, then how are we justified? How are we set free before the holy God who gave the law? We are justified by faith. Amen. Justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 3.28. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And Reformation Sunday is coming up. (laughs) Justified by faith. Faith in what? Thank you. Faith in Christ and his merits. Amen. Amen. This is where so many people have a caricature of the Christian faith, right? Well, you're trying to do good and earn God's, it's not what our faith is about. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law, justified by faith in Christ and his merits. It is his law keeping, his righteousness that we need. We are clothed in his righteousness when we believe, amen? We will never ever establish our own righteousness as Romans 10.3 has it. We must submit to God's righteousness which has come in Christ. And so Paul pleads with his audience in this sermon, his audience in Pisidian Antioch, he pleads with them to fly to this man, this man Jesus, this God man who Paul himself had met on the Damascus Road. changed his life this man jesus who is the only mediator between us and god this man jesus who is god with us nailed to the cross because god so loved his world and refused to simply condemn it this man Jesus whose righteousness we must be clothed with if we are to be accepted by God I hope with all my heart this morning friend that you are in right relationship this morning with this man this God man Jesus and Paul closes his sermon now verses 40 and 41 he closes it not with a nice, sort of sweet Hollywood ending, <laughs> but with a warning. And he borrows the warning from yet another Old Testament text, this time Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Paul says at the very end of his sermon, Beware, Okay, so we're now we're in warning territory, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about, and then he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Now, in the original context of Habakkuk, the people of Israel had ignored prophetic warnings, they had continued in their waywardness. They had missed the instructions, so to speak, and now God, in Habakkuk, He was sending the Babylonians as an instrument of his judgment to invade Israel. The invasion by Babylon was the work of God that people wouldn't believe even if someone told it to them. That that is mentioned there in Habakkuk 1 5 disaster. Would overtake the people because they had ignored prophetic warnings and they had continued along in their rebellion. And Paul uses this verse from Habakkuk here to say to his listeners. Don't be like Israel of old. Ignoring God, rebelling against him. See the new work that God has done and is doing in Jesus of Nazareth. Respond rightly to Jesus. Don't scoff at the notion that salvation has come in Jesus or you will face judgment. Paul's sermon ends on this note of warning, which also is a call for his listeners to respond. And verses 42 and 43 tell us that the response to Paul's sermon largely was favorable. People wanted to hear more. People followed Paul and Barnabas after the service wrapped up and Paul and Barnabas urged these people to continue on in grace, continue on in Jesus. My friends, the question is, as we work this toward a close now, how will we respond to God's word this morning how will you respond what is our response to the grace of God that he has shown to the world in his son Jesus Christ what is our response to the warning that Paul issues at the end of his sermon which encourages us to respond rightly to the crucified risen Jesus Christ what is our response to the Bible to the revelation of Almighty God, which from start to finish shows Jesus Christ as the center and the goal of all existence. What is our response? My prayer, my earnest prayer is that we would not miss the instructions in this short span of life that we have been given, that we not miss Jesus and fail to recognize him as our Savior and as, as our Lord. The holy and sure blessings of King Jesus, of David, come only to those who receive him, to those who bring nothing but their nothing to him and repent. Holy and sure blessings, forgiveness of sins, justification, redemption, resurrection to life, eternal life, abundant life, fellowship with the risen Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, eternity and basking physically. Can you imagine? Believer, you're gonna bask physically in the pleasures of God at his right hand forevermore. There won't be a day where God won't continue to unfold glorious things that are going to make our jaws drop day after day, year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. It's just going to keep increasing. All these things, these holy and sure blessings, are for the believer in Jesus. And so God says this morning, and then I'm done. He says, turn to me and be saved can't get more plain than that turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other Isaiah 45 verse 22 God the son says in John 10 9 I am the door if anyone enters by me he she will be what saved and will go in and out and find pasture my friend if you haven't already been saved from your sin and saved from the coming wrath of God by putting your faith in the one who has already taken the wrath for you on his cross, if you haven't done that already, I plead with you, be saved today. Fly to Jesus Christ, confess your sin to him and by faith receive him as savior and Lord of your life and then be sure to tell us about it so that we can help you deepen in your relationship with him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these sermons in this part of your revelation and acts, which, Lord, continue to preach to us. We thank you for your word and the fact that it is the word of life, Lord God. And I pray that your spirit would continue, Lord, to work on a heart today that perhaps a person who's been in the church for many years, but remains dead in trespasses and sins. I pray, Lord, that you would do the work of enlivening, saving, regenerating the person. And Father, may we go into this week with this vision of the exalted, crucified, risen, ascended, and soon coming Jesus, May we reflect on it, bring it to our remembrance, Lord, no matter what we face this week. And may we rejoice and have joy and be glad. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.